So glad you've chosen to be with us today, and we're continuing our series uh, called Invited, A New Way of Living, based on the book of Colossians. But just before we step into part 10, believe it or not, of this series, I just wanted to provide a quick update for you. Um, A number of months ago, we talked about how we're looking to um, renovate some space inside our church uh, building to create a chapel Uh, that will serve a host of different purposes. Uh, We struggle to have mid-sized spaces in our church building. And uh, so uh, this chapel will help with um, weddings, funerals, with learning opportunities, adult electives, worship and prayer gatherings. It'll be a wonderful space for a lot of uh, meaningful purposes. And uh, so we're looking to raise $200,000 from our church family. And um, good news for you, we've raised $38,000 to date, which means we're like 19% of the way there. And uh, we rolled out a way that everyone can do their part, which actually includes 500 people in our church family uh, giving $1 a day for one year. $365 per person in our church family helps us get this done. And so uh, if you haven't yet made a contribution yet to our chapel, we would love to help to, uh, to have you partner with us. And you can head over to www.kingstreet.org and you can go to our give icon and you can just click on the drop down menu and a chapel project is there. You can give over and above your tithe and uh, you can also send an e-transfer just to chapel at kingstreet.org. And uh, those are really helpful ways uh, where we can, again, get this very meaningful project done uh, and hopefully completed in the next uh, six to eight months. That would be wonderful. So we'll continue to provide some updates as we move along. So thank you again for all that you've done already and for your intention to help us as we move through this. Uh, this project together. Uh, September 11th is a Sunday, five o'clock. We're having our uh, church family movie meal night. Uh, We're watching a movie called Overcomer. Uh, It's going to be great. $8.50 per adult uh, for children 10 and under, $5. You can again register, reserve your seat at kingstreet.org and that's going to be a great night together too. Just reconnecting from the summer from the summer months where some of us have been scattering and enjoying vacation. I hope you have. I hope you've taken some time to rest and Um, So it's always a good way to just reconnect with old and meet some new friends too. So hope you'll join us for that. All right, uh, four chapter book, the book of Colossians. If you're new to the Bible, it's um, uh, Paul is the author writing from a first century Roman prison. He's there because he courageously and boldly made the kingdom announcement that Jesus is Lord. And uh, it has cost him a timeout, so to speak, where he finds himself incarcerated. And he's writing letters to his friends in various churches. And uh, and so Colossians, we've been moving through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we find our way into uh, chapter four of the book of Colossians, and it's only a four chapter book, so we're almost done, and we hope you've enjoyed the series. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we talked about how we're invited to uh, approach relationships differently, marriage, family, and workplace relationships. And a theme that's woven through the book of Colossians is that Jesus is over and above every leader, every authority. He is the king over all of his good creation. And uh, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ is clearly found on the pages of Colossians. And that's really important because when Jesus is king and we understand his the depth of his love and the scope of his power. We can call on him for help in our marriages and in our families and in our workplaces. Um, And then as well, our theme for this morning is um, we're invited to be people who pray. And when again, we understand um, how deeply loved we are and how much power the Almighty has, 
Uh, we come to a God who cares deeply about us, and we come to a God who can do something about our challenges and our life circumstances. And most importantly, he can help us be at our best because we were made by him and for him. And uh, so this invitation to be people who pray, when we understand how supreme he is, um, we will find ourselves naturally um, predisposed towards wanting to have an ongoing conversation with God. Um, and, and we're not talking to someone as some sort of psychological exercise. Our, our words are not bouncing off the ceiling. It may feel that way on occasion. But prayer is a beautiful invitation to have an ongoing conversation with God. And um, so our passage to ponder that we've been taking with us over the last, uh, again, summer, summer uh, series, uh, 10 weeks now, is uh, from Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 4. And uh, what we've been doing when we gather in person is we've all been reciting it together. So if you do have others in the living room, maybe you'll uh, join each other by reciting this passage with me. And so it goes like this. Uh, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And so uh, when we hear the word prayer, um, it can be a loaded word for all of us. Um, but I'm curious uh, to invite you to think about what word associations come to mind when you think of the word prayer or pray. Um, for some people, it's a body, bodily posture. It's, it's kneeling, it's folded hands, it's closed eyes. Uh, perhaps it's standing, perhaps it's sitting. Uh, for me, I love to go walking when I pray. And, uh, but there could be sort of like a bodily posture, um, or it could be um, guilt uh, because we don't feel we do it enough, or it could be boredom because we've tried it and our mind was so easily distracted. Um, it could be fear, thinking that we are not safe. And when we talk to God, we might think that he doesn't have our best interest in mind. And so we kind of step back and we're a little intimidated by him, or maybe even intimidated by the practice itself. And uh, for some of us, when we think of the word prayer or pray, it might be that we end up feeling a, a lot of security and peace because we have uh, practiced this discipline and we've been in the presence of God who has uh, permitted us to experience his kind of peace and uh, allowed us to feel um, secure in his presence. And uh, the truth about prayer is, in the words of Richard Foster, it's when the heart finds its true home. That's what how he described it. Prayer is our way or God's invitation for us to direct our heart to its truest, purest home. And then I like what St. Augustine has said. He said, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And so prayer is that invitation for us to come to God, to rest in him and to truly be home, made by him and for him. And so uh, this is an invitation for for all of us today. And uh, you may consider yourself somebody who is brand new to prayer. And uh, I, I hope by the time we're done today, we'll kind of strip back some of the um, scaffolding maybe that's been built around it that might be somewhat artificial. Uh, maybe some of the impediments that keep us from, from praying. Uh, and maybe for some of us, we just don't think we're worthy or that we're not good enough, um, or we don't know all the right words or how to do it properly. Um, prayer is really one heart calling out to another, uh, the human heart to the divine. And uh, there are no magical words or incantations we use. Jesus gave us a model for praying. It's called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And it's a wonderful template for us to consider when we approach God. 
Uh, but there are no magical words that sort of tap into the divine or kind of get God's attention. Um, what, what actually um, translates into beautiful, authentic, honest prayer is when the heart um, strips away the facades and just truly communicates with God what it's feeling, what it's thinking. And because um, God can handle it, even if we're angry, sad, disappointed, frustrated, whatever that might be, when we bring all of those emotions to God, he knows them already. And prayer is a beautiful gift that we give to ourselves because we position ourselves to be in the presence of the source of life and love itself. So we all have a longing to be in touch with God. We do. Uh, listen to the psalmist. He writes these words, Psalm chapter 42, the first two verses. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He says, where can I go to meet with God? Uh, what a beautiful rhetorical question just to leave hanging there. Where can I go to meet with God? All of us have this longing. And when the longing is not fulfilled, like St. Augustine said, our heart is just pursuing rest. Until we find our rest in you, we are restless people. Um, until we really find our authentic rest in God, we'll go pursuing all sorts of other things. Um, artificial remedies, so to speak, to kind of help us feel a measure of rest. But often those things can lead to a complicated life and sometimes worse than that. Um, so we all have a longing to be in touch with God. And God's house is intended to be a place of communal communion with God. Communal communion with God. I said that deliberately because it's a place where we gather with brothers and sisters, other people who have that same longing and who pray together as we call on the God we call Father together. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, again, same poet David writes these words in Psalm 84, the first four verses. He says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow, get this picture of David sitting in the temple, and he sees this bird darting to and fro in the temple and there's a little nest there by the altar he says even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar lord almighty my king and my god blessed are those who dwell in your house they this kind of plural uh, reference they are ever praising you it's a community that calls on god together and this is the beautiful part about gathering for in-person worship. And we know that some of you are just unable to be with us in person at this point, either geographically or have health vulnerabilities or whatever that might look like for you. But uh, when we can be together, there is something beautiful about uh, reciting scripture together, uh, posturing our hearts in prayer together, lifting our voices, singing together. There's something beautiful about that. It's the people of God have always been a gathering community and a scattering community. We gather for worship and we scatter on mission. It's just who we are. It's what we do. And then uh, finally, just sort of to frame this teaching today, we are God's house, all of us. We are God's house in a holy place of ongoing solitary communion with God. I really like that. It's a, a, a holy place. Uh, we, were, we were made to be holy, set apart for God's purposes. And, and when we understand that this body of ours is not just for us to use in this world, it's a sacred dwelling place for God. Um, then it becomes literally a sanctuary of prayer and praise where we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. 
And um, Jesus, these are his words as it relates to prayer. Um, when we gather for, for worship and for prayer, it's, it's never um, only when we're together do we pray or only when we're alone do we pray. It's both and. But Jesus does bring a cautionary teaching here that we need to practice prayer in our solitary environments so that when we gather together in worship, there's an authenticity about it because it's not about just being with people or being carried along by others. It's an overflow of our, our already cultivated spiritual life with God. So these are Jesus' words in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, and, and he considers that we will. So he says, when you do it, not if, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, those actors on the stage who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. He says, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever see. They did it for public applause. They got it. That was what they wanted. They wanted the approval of others. They ended up getting it. He said, that's all they're ever going to see because they never did it for the Father. He says, but when you pray, he says, go away by yourself. This is the solitary piece. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your father who sees everything, he will reward you. And the reward is not about, I better go and log some time with God because I want to get rewarded on the other side. The reward is actually being in your father's presence. Uh, just being with him and enjoying his smile over your life, that's reward enough. And uh, it's not about parading some people in behind you to watch how spiritual you might be. It's actually just about being with God, uh, the one you were made by and for. So since Jesus is supreme, we should pray because he can do something about our challenges and he can do something about our flaws and he can do something about all the things that get in the way of us flourishing as humans. And then since marriage, family and work life can be challenging, we should also pray like we talked about last week. All right, so here's our passage and I only have two points today for you. So we're going to move through them reasonably quickly. Uh, and our, our passage is found in Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. It goes like this. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says. So right after talking about marriages, family life and work relationships, he says, oh, by the way, you should devote yourselves to prayer because... Probably prayer and being in God's presence will help you with all of those other very important relationships. So devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. That's how we come to God. Clear-minded, self-controlled, and with a heart that's full of gratitude. And then he says, by the way, when you're praying, pray for yourself, of course, but pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ, the gospel of Jesus. That is why I am here in chains. He's in a prison because of the gospel of Jesus. He says, pray that I will proclaim this message of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, as clearly as I should. And then he goes on and says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. It's almost like he's connecting these two things together. If we can lead a lifestyle of prayer, probably we will more likely live wisely. Uh, these two things are probably very closely connected in Paul's mind as he's writing this letter. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. May we as a Jesus-following community be known for our wisdom on how we navigate the complexities of life and the challenges that are real for, that are real for all of us. Uh, may we not be known by our foolishness, but by our wisdom. And then he says, let your conversation be gracious. So maybe out of the conversation we have with God, which is prayer, our conversation with our brothers and sisters in this world will be more gracious. He says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. All right, so two thoughts for us this morning. 
from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Here's the first one. Prayer is an outflow, according to this text, of our love relationship with God. Um, any relationship we have that's healthy and strong understands that trust is so foundational. And trust is earned or achieved by good, healthy communication and by a strong sense of loyalty. And, uh, and this is what the passage um, says for us. Paul writes and says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Um, when we are up against the wall, or in Paul's experience, he's in a first century, probably dark and damp Roman prison, um, we take an inventory of our lives and we begin to enumerate that which is most important. And so Paul is in a tough place in his life and he's taking inventory and what comes off of his pen as he is writing uh, is this idea that we ought to be devoted to prayer. Uh, it's a really important practice for the Christian. It's huge in the Christian life. Uh, it's pretty hard to walk closely with Jesus and not have a conversation with him. Good, open, honest uh, communication is central to every vibrant, flourishing relationship. And it's the same in our relationship with God. Um, prayer is huge, but it's something we all struggle with. If we we're going to be really honest today, pastors struggle with prayer too. Prayer can be work. Um, developing a disciplined life where we talk with God on a regular basis can be challenging for all of us. And so my question today for all of us, including me, is why is it such of a challenge? Um, I, I have two ideas that hopefully will stimulate some more thinking for you in this regard. But um, two thoughts that come to mind as it relates to why we struggle with prayer. The first one is this. There's, there's a Roman Catholic uh, philosopher by the name of Peter Kreeft. And he writes and he says, if prayer is what it seems to be as scripture teaches us about it, it's central to a strong, vibrant relationship with God. And if prayer helps us advance the kingdom of God, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and if prayer helps us stay spiritually alert and alive in Christ, then it would make perfect sense that if there was an adversary who opposed us, he would do everything in his power to divert us or distract us from that lifeline. And so we find it so easy to watch another episode on Netflix, or we find it so easy to get distracted with work-related things, or... <laughs> What about our handheld devices? Um, they, they don't often serve as a call to pray. Uh, and we're on them, including me, an awful lot. And uh, so don't discount the spiritual uh, dynamic that's at play that keeps us from praying. And, and then secondly, uh, a second reason why we might struggle is this, um, this faulty idea or distorted view of God where we don't really believe deep down that he has all the power, that he is truly the Almighty, uh, and that he has all of us in the crosshairs of his unconditional love. And so sometimes we think that we're not loved. And so we're maybe intimidated by being in the presence of a God who might use his power against us as opposed to for us. And so sometimes it's just a bad, distorted, faulty view of God that keeps us from praying. And again, back to this simple idea. If you and I could grab a hold of how deeply loved we are and how powerful God is and that he truly is for us and not against us, we probably would find ourselves. And if we even understood, like Paul does, that people's prayers have an impact on shaping history, on how Paul communicates the gospel, we, we might pray even that much more. So devotion includes 
these three words, duty, discipline, and delight. Uh, devotion sometimes says, I don't feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it. And discipline is the next right thing. Even though I feel like I could be doing some other things, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the gym again. I don't feel like doing it. I'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. But I'm going to go to the gym. It's a discipline that we do. It's a practice. And then there's this delight. So there are these moments when we just do it because we feel like it's a duty to do it. And then we feel like we're just in the discipline mode of doing the next right thing. But there are these beautiful moments as well. And that's where we want to land more often is the sense in which I'm actually delighting by being with God in his presence. I've told you this many times before, I love to go for my walks and I get mental health out of it, physical well-being, and I have this beautiful moment where I can pray and I can think and I can listen to beautiful worship music and I can just um, direct my heart to the source of my own life, literally to God, through Christ. And, uh, and so the delighting ourselves in God's presence is a wonderful thing and we want to we want to, after we've passed through or crashed through duty and discipline, to sort of land in the delight. That's what we were made for. And then prayer is a practice that involves a grateful heart and a clear mind. When we start numbering all the ways we've been given things that we don't deserve, uh, we, we have uh, an opportunity to thank someone. And the source of all goodness is God himself. So, um, so prayer. Um, prayer is an outflow of our love relationship with God. And then secondly, um, finally, prayer is an expression of our love for others. Um, when we pray for each other, um, we are drawn to the people we're praying for. So there's this sense in which I'm drawn to these people and I'm demonstrating how much I esteem and love them uh, when I pray for them. So we actually can cultivate deeper relationships with other people by praying for them, whether we're in their presence or not. And there are some times we might have been wounded or hurt by other people. And when we pray for them, we actually help to um, put the uh, offense or the wound in its proper place and, and expose ourselves to God, who is the source of our own healing. And so scripture says that we ought to pray even for those who mistreat us, those people who may oppose us. And so we, we pray for, for those that we love, and, uh, and we also pray for those maybe who uh, we struggle to like. And um, so Paul, Paul prayed for the church family he loved. Earlier in, the, in Colossians chapter 1, we walked through this already in the very first week, verse 3, this is what Paul says. He says, we always pray for you. We all, so again, this is from the prison. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God. He's modeling that. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul prayed for the church he loved, and Paul was vulnerable to ask the church family to pray for him. Uh, he writes these words, Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. So Paul seemed to understand that his capacity to announce the kingdom of God with clarity uh, was limited, and he needed help from above. And prayers from people in faraway places actually enabled him to do or to discharge his ministry with greater effectiveness. And so this is important for us to understand that we all, thanks be to God for the people in, in our lives who pray for us, and we get to return that to others by praying for them. And it isn't just an exercise of talking with God about ourselves. It's talking with God about ourselves and talking with God about others. And God does things when we pray. He really does. He involves himself. Prayer is a bit of a mystery. 
God doesn't need to be externally motivated. He is goodness defined, he is love defined, and he is working, scripture tells us. But in some mysterious way, he says, come to me and partner with me. He's always, this has always been a priority of God's. He does things in the world with others. And prayer is an invitation for us to work with God. And so um, finally, I'll leave you with this. Prayer is a critical way that the kingdom of God advances. Let me take you to an Older Testament passage. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of how um, the kingdom of God advances on two fronts. One of them is in the material domain and one is in the spiritual domain. So let, let me read this. Exodus 17, beginning at verse 8. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. We'll pause there for a second. So Moses tells Joshua, take some fighting men and go down into the valley and engage the battle on that material front. I'm going to go to the top of the mountain and I'm going to take the staff of God with me. And we'll come back to that in just a second. So there's this, I'm going to appeal to God on your behalf and you're going to be the feet and hands on the field. Um, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur wasn't alone. He was with a couple of, of important comrades or colleagues in the ministry. Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. Kind of strange, isn't it? That what's happening hundreds of meters below is impacted by what's happening hundreds of meters above. Uh, when Moses has his hands raised and he has the staff of God in his hands, and where else do we see that picture in the Older Testament? He holds the staff of God over the Red Sea that God commands him to do and the waters part. And the Egyptian army that's chasing them, that's threatening to annihilate them, the water opens up and they walk through on dry ground. There is a supernatural enablement that is pictured through the staff of God that Moses holds in his hands. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Am Amalekites gained the advantage. So Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. So it's a really, really cool story about how three men praying together, so to speak. It's all very symbolic. And the staff of God is in his hand, very symbolic again. And uh, prayer and, and uh, physical activity together. It's not all prayer and it's not all physical work, but when the two come together, it's a beautiful, beautiful combination. So I want to leave you with this last invitation. It doesn't work for everyone's schedule, but for some it might. Every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., we meet over a Zoom platform. There are probably between 10 and 20 of us that gather, and we would love to have you join us if you can come for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes, but we set aside between 8 and 9 a.m. every Tuesday morning. You can head over to kingstreet.org, find the Zoom link, and come and join us. There's a place to pray in a, in a, a place of solitude, and there's a place to pray with friends, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it is central to the life of faith. So we are invited to be people who pray. So let me pray for you, and then we'll invite the host pastors to come back. Father, thank you for this invitation to be in an ongoing conversation with you. Sometimes it can be a simple phrase or a sentence or a paragraph. Sometimes our prayers can be a run-on paragraph that just keeps going. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to experience the delight of being in your presence. May the, the, the freedom and the strength of the Spirit be strong in us, uh, inviting us, and may we hear the invitation to pray. And as we talk with you, God, may there be beautiful things that happen in us and through us. And uh, so, Lord, thank you. And uh, we honor you today um, with, with gratitude and with clarity of mind. And we say, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a big amen to this prayer. And uh, we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.